Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Do you guys hear that? Play that for any fish fan. And the majority of them would immediately be able to locate it to Nassau Coliseum on April 3rd, 1998 for the second night of Fish's famed island tour. And that's where this episode of Undermine lands. Hi, you're listening to Undermine season four, episode 52. I'm your host, Tom Marshall, and I'm joined today by my cronies, RJB and Benji Eisen. Say hello, guys. Hello, guys. And hello, ladies. Multi-beasts, unit monsters, anyone watching uh, on YouTube, and of course, anybody else listening. <laughs> did, we, did we do that right? Did we include everyone? Yeah. I mean, uh, how many multi-beasts do you think are, are, are watching? Uh, that, that, Tom, that sounds like a joke, but I, I don't know the punchline. RJ? <laughs> three. I don't know how you came up with three. that number. Maybe it's because we have three more, three more concerts to talk about. So um, this is the second of the uh, Island Tour shows. Uh, we're going to dive into t- today's hot topic, April 3rd, 1998. So uh, yesterday, Benji gave us a little overview of the venue. RJ, what can you tell us about Fish's spring tours? They toured around the calendar up to a certain point, but by 98, it had been a few years since they did a spring tour. Yeah, in the in the U.S. anyway. I mean, they they were you know doing some support dates and and doing some Europe stuff for a while. But through from the spring of '91 through spring of '94, they did huge end of winter spring tours. I mean, you know, dozens of shows, and then shifted to summer tours by you know by '95. So I don't know. Is this a tour or is this a run? Because I think toward the end of four or five. Trey says this is the getting to the end of this tour here and they called it the Island tour, but was it really a tour or was it a run? I don't know. 
it, it was an Andorra bug. And if, if Brad Sands hadn't come up with the island tour, it would have been the island run <laughs> <laughs> uh, or the spring run. Um, but, you know, so New Year's Eve in April was fun last year uh, as the spring, you know, talking about spring dates for fish. But having just done, uh, I, I did sits of these recent eight. I did the bottom sits of the recent eight that they did out in the West Coast. Oh, cool. And I have to say, I have to throw this in here, um, and I'm throwing it in anywhere I can get it in. I am in favor of fish adding Hollywood Bowl as an annual uh, spring weekend. The way that Dits is, you know, we know that Dits is every Labor Day weekend, and it's a tradition, and it built and built and built to where it is now. And I feel like Hollywood Bowl, uh, it's just the venue was perfect for that in so many ways. It was the most incredible run, but it's it's the type of venue and being in Los Angeles for a spring weekend, I feel it's the type of thing that would just immediately build into what could be a great fish tradition. But um, in 1998, as we've mentioned, hinted at, and alluded to before, the island tour is kind of spiritually linked to 1997. Or, you know, maybe it's a bridge to the summer of 1998, or maybe it's both. You know, it falls in between those two, musically, as well as on the calendar. I, I like the idea of the uh, um, sort of a spring California Hollywood Bowl thing, um, because we have so many East Coast traditions and festivals sort of wind up here. I mean, apart from maybe one or two, but um, there's also like, the, like you said, Dix is the center of the country. There's no real like tradition on the on the left coast for all the Hollywood, fans there. Hollywood Bowl is, I know from a from a concert, it's an expensive venue to play. But oh. it is just such a beautiful venue. And it's like Radio City Music Hall. As anyone that saw the photos from it, it's just, it, it. there's an element to it that's just incredible. And everyone's in their own little box. It's just, it's the perfect venue for fish to do uh, a West Coast tradition in. And all us East Coasters look at it and we're like, wow, there's no roof. What what do they do in case <laughs> of rain? And it's like, oh, there's no rain ever, ever. It's yeah. 72 every single day. <laughs> I think it's a good idea. And thank you for tuning into our episode of what fish should do next. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to the music. This night opens with a really powerful segment of Mike's song, then old home place instead of hydrogen into Wikipog. RJ, what do you think of the opening frame? Um, well, our friend, my, my friend, Jonathan, who uh, is on the helping friendly podcast, he, he loves hydrogen. And so he would, he would be, he would want me to say that they should have played hydrogen, but I don't think, it, I don't think it matters here. I mean, this, this mics is, first of all, is it's a opening, you know, statement with a lot of power. I feel like first set mics openers are just like, it means that they're, they're ready to rock. Um, they, they were comfortable. They, there was, this was kind of a little bit of a darker kind of jam. Um, but then it kind of like, mellows out and and has the the true segue into old home place which is a really nice combo and man this just really sets up quite a show i think this i think we all knew that after this a mike's opener like this was going to be a a pretty a pretty crazy crazy show but this week of pog gets out there too and up to this point i mean the, the show before they hadn't really gotten into the dirty dark stuff like, but they did it right away here. And, um, this opening, opening three songs is, a, you know, perfect. It's perfect. This whole thing's perfect. Benji, what, what are your thoughts on this, on this opening part of the set? Well, I, I love, well, first of all, I love that week pod, just like anybody else that's ever heard it. Um, and then opening with, with a mic song, opening the show with a mic song, 
it's like a zero to 10 moment, you know? And if you look at it now, we talked about the tube yesterday as being a continuation of 97 and tube is a huge opener, uh, uh, you know, and, and one that's extremely rare, but, uh, but, uh, it's, it's just huge. And of course the following night we have tweezer. And then the following night after that, we have the, the, uh, Oki Pond, you enjoy myself. And so they were making statements. They were, they, they didn't want to warm up. They were warmed up and there is a home run, up. but no one's on base. So it's not a grand <laughs> slam, but it is a home run. It's not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. But, but, you know, whereas like maybe opening up with runaway gym lets you ease on in and all that, like fish was sort of saying, look guys, we came here to play. Let's not mess around. That's a really good point. And uh, that, um, but Tom, as a baseball fan, a leadoff homer, you know, <laughs> even if you only get one run out of it, it's still a great way to start. So everyone I'm, stands I'm, up and it's an I'm, incredible thing. I've seen, I've seen that. I don't ask me what it. game. I've seen one. Yes. Which I, game? I, I saw it four times in a row at the Island tour. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's this week of Pog, by the way, according to fish.net, there's, there's a lot going on here. There is teases of the song that would become Mozambique um, in this week of Pog. There's a cross-eyed and painless like thing, Nellie Kane, Brazil. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on here. And so, you know, the week of Pog is, even though I feel like always, not always, but most, most of the time musically, you look at the mics before you look at the week of Pog, or at least I do. I think maybe I'm just not that good at understanding week of Pog because I know a lot of people love them, but I feel like (laughs) there are more. It's in Rhode Island. (laughs) <laughs> there are more stellar versions of mics than Weekapog. So like you tend to go for the mics, but this this ending of Weekapog is just it's awesome. Tom, we get a, well, there's a train song, Billy Breeze, Beauty of My Dreams, and then we get to Dog Stole Things. And as I was listening back, there's another song that debuted the year before in 97. Um, you know, I, I have two dogs and I have to say, like, we just got, got, just got a puppy, you know, to keep our older dog company. And I feel like they're slightly being maligned by this, by this song. And maybe I'm just being sensitive because I just got a new dog, but is there is there anything to my uh, to my concerns about this? Are, are dogs are are all dogs bad? Well, dogs stole things I needed bad. Cats took what I never had. So, like they're both being maligned, maybe or, may, or maybe not, but not really. I, I mean, apart from what the but song says, I already says, knew that about cats. I already <laughs> knew that about cats. Well, dogs and cats have their own agenda, and at night, you have to sort of like you you sleep with them in your house. They're animals. And uh, you have to trust them to leave your soul intact. So uh, usually you can, because they're usually harmless. But it, unless your dogs are demonic, you probably have nothing to worry about. Because you don't <laughs> want them to steal your soul. Is there any like test you can do for that? Or is that just something that you you know? 
You have to learn by experience. It is, it's an intuition. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes I think other people's dogs uh, don't have souls. Like they need oh, a soul. Wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. That's yeah. getting, it's getting yeah. pretty deep. So um, they're, they're, they're on the market. The, the Reba here, we haven't really, we haven't talked about the Reba. Um, it's, it's not, it does not have a jam chart entry on Fishnet. Um, it's not, I think, talked about that much, but I, I really enjoy it. And I, I mean, maybe because I like Reba always, but I think this is a great version and in another like, you know, piece of the set that, that kind of holds it together with the, uh, with the mic screws at the beginning. It's a, it's a great Reba. And then of course yeah. my soul ends the set. And just like that, the time has come for a commercial break. We will be right back. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, distrokid. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. promised you we'd be right back. And even though I wanted to run, here I am. And here we are. We're currently seconds away from lights on set to night two at NASA Coliseum for Fish's Island tour. Do you guys like this set? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> eh. Well, you know, RJ, I'll take your eh and I'll raise you uh, a lot. <laughs> at the time, 4-3 set two was my favorite set of the island tour. And I say at the time, I think like historically for, for most of the time between then and now, it's been my favorite set of the island tour. It's just in the past uh, couple of weeks, listening back to all four of these nights, lifetimes later, the Providence shows, as you, I think, alluded to, RJ, uh, at, on our last episode, not only have they withstood the test of time, but they were they, they kind of were overlooked and parts of them. And you know, despite the fact that the island tour as a whole is is so praised as a as an entirety, but individually, I think a lot of people look at Nassau and maybe that last set of from from Providence. Um, and you know, the the Providence shows have proved to have something in common with the Wu Tang Clan. They ain't nothing to fuck with. <laughs> but uh, but Nassau. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, I just compared the island Thank tour you. to the plan. Um, but Nassau uh, Night 2 
has two of my all, you know, the two of my favorite elements of a great night of fish. And it's like, you know, my equivalent of, of I guess, if they open with punch in the eye, Tom, uh, <laughs> if these two elements are there, I know it's probably going to be a favorite uh, set that I'm going to listen to for years. Humorous antics, but not just that alone, because anyone can do that. Humorous antics and a musically brilliant type two jam that goes places and that takes its time getting there. So as much as we have a lot in store coming up in Providence, Nassau and I too is still my favorite set from, from this particular Island man. And I, I mean, from, from any year, it's my favorite set of music that fish has played on long Island. Well, Benji, like Wu-Tang clan, I'm still <laughs> trying to understand this show 25 years later. It just is, it's just, a monster, it's, you know. It's too good. It's it's, it's too good. It's too good. The second set, and yeah. The the roses, you know, they, that opens the second set. This is a you know historic and and monumental jam, but there's so much going on. I mean, there are there's there's everything. There's there's dark. There's bliss. There's ambience. There's you know effects. It's there's a lot happening here. Um, but there's only three jam chart entries for roses are free. This one, big Cypress and Worcester 2012. And, you know, they just kind of brought this out and maybe it's done as a jam vehicle, but because we're still in a time machine, let's stay on this, on this version. Um, Tom, can we talk or, or Benji, anyone who either of you who want to jump in this song um, of course is not by fish. It's by ween. They played this um, first on 12, 11, right. Um, at, at Rochester and then and then MSG on 1231. So why do you guys think they started playing? I mean, clearly there's like a history with Ween and Fish geographically and all that, but like why why at this point did they decide to 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 bust this out as a cover? Uh, doing my research, which is basically just putting headphones on and listening to the show and walking for four or five or six or seven miles, um, I uh, stumbled uh, when I got home upon... Um, one of our good, um, amazing friends, uh, Osiris collaborators, when we can get them, Amar Sastri's um, Anatomy of a Jam. Look it up on YouTube uh, because it explains a lot about this particular Roses Are Free. He goes into um, very deeply, but also never boring, about uh, actually piecing the jam together why all of a sudden there's like this amazing quiet part on the fourth beat of the measure but he does it in such an incredibly interesting and graphic way um you know and and then like trey hints at b flat seventh mixolydian and then page answers and when i'm when amar tells you it's happening you can hear it and you can see it and uh it's it's a completely compelling amazing thing and and amar took apart lots of shows and lots of songs with anatomy of a jam but at this one i was completely engrossed and it's a great roses are free and basically uh he kind of just begins by saying trey was sort of obsessed with ween and he got obsessed because ween and and fish signed with electra at the same time basically and one of the first um albums that uh sue drew i think uh their a and r person handed Trey and said, by the way, these guys, uh, I think they came from somewhere near you guys, uh, near Princeton or somewhere in New Jersey. These guys are signed too. And, and Trey got, um, was it pure guava, I think, and uh, listened incessantly to it. And 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 then uh, I think chocolate and cheese is where this is from. But anyway, uh, it kind of explains it. So check that out, Amar. Shout out to Amar. 
Um, hey, I'm going to have... I'm going to have to check out the uh, Omar's anatomy of, of a jam. Uh, but in layman's terms with this jam, the reason I, you know, I think my favorite part of it is in the very beginning of, of the jam, the, the jam has, it, it twists and it turns and it has all these little, you know, wonderful folds to it. But I love the vocalizations that, that start just as the jam gets going, because that shows you their own excitement. Like it's almost like the music is just bubbling out of them. So not only on the instruments, but they're actually adding vocalizations. And, you know, I love this, uh, this kind of, oh shit, nervous system attack that happens on my body. And I think it happens to everyone inside the arena uh, when everyone realizes it at the same time that there's this new drummer, this brand new song, is, as you mentioned, RJ, this unlikely ween cover that came, you know, in Rochester took us all by surprise. And two times in, you know, it's not a jam vehicle, it's just a quirky cover. And then all of a sudden, we all knew at the same exact moment that, holy shit, they're blowing this wide open. And it's suddenly a monster, totally unexpected type two jam, which, of course, it, it's no secret. It's my favorite type of jam, unless there's a type three. Um, but the the kind that, you know, the kind of type two jam that it literally comes out of nowhere. It comes when you least expect it, you know. It, it, and so hit me with the unexpected type two jam. And if it works... Well, then 25 years later, I think I'll go on a podcast literally just to high five about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, it's not coming out of a Bowie or down with the Z's or Tweezer where they're all expected. It's when the, it's when it's in something like Roses Are Free when it's never been done before. Those moments are are the type of moments that that I live for. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I think we talked about this on on this podcast and, and probably HF Pod. Like, I think the there are jams, Tahoe Tweezer comes to mind, which are which are not. I mean, they're they're spontaneous in that they're improvisational music, but there's clear there was clearly like an intention to do to do that. Um, same to me with the Ruby Waves from Alpine from 2019. Like I think there there are times Trey even said like that night they they thought that Mercury was going to be the 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 place where they really pushed it, and that it ended up being Ruby Waves. And um, this is by contrast just so it just feels like like you said, Benji, it comes out of nowhere. Um, and Tom, I'm glad you brought up Amar's video. I mean. He's so good at at analyzing music and making it easy to understand. There's a there's a part about halfway through this jam where Trey just starts kind of these like this very like two note riff, and the way Amar explains it is like Trey is playing smaller voicings because Mike and Paige are taking up more space, and then later on in the jam, he Amar shows a chart. Um, on each bar, which of the four of them are playing, and then like Trey will drop out on the fourth fourth bar and it, there's just there's so much like i'm i don't feel like i'm very good at explaining music but amar really is There's an amazing attribution too to um, 
the two ween guys uh dean and gene uh kind of marveling that no one get figured out that roses are free is sort of their tribute to prince and then uh amar talks about how trey and the band got to go to prince's secret studio for a secret show um and saw prince and that was where trey realized what an incredible rhythm guitarist he is someone else was doing something and prince sort of dropped back and and played amazing rhythm and trey got uh so obsessed with that and amar uh says that that's what the vocalizations are they're sort of princey um and that pr fish realizes the prince roots of this song and also that trey was playing um kind of prince rhythm by dropping out going to three note three string chords and then the two string chords just sort of going back while the rest you know while mike and Paige were taking over and uh like i said check out amar's explanation of it and it makes perfect sense it all makes perfect sense there is one more part of this i want to talk about which is that about 23 ish minutes in you know the it goes into this ambient space and in any other, not any other, but in a lot of other situations, it would just go into a ballad or they would go into the next song and they take a full, you know, minute or so to just kind of sit there. And then Trey picks up this little riff. Um, and if you know it, you know it, but maybe you'll hear it right now. Um, but this just, you know, and it picks it up and gives it another, you know, 10 minutes of, of life to this jam. It's just, it's just unbelievable. Um, but as as monstrous as the roses is, uh, this set you know classic four song second set, and the reason I said you know eh, earlier is that it wasn't three songs. You know, I mean, <laughs> four songs is fine, but you know I'm really I'm really chasing a three song second set. Um, well, it's five if you count it as Nassau Jam. <laughs> <laughs> true, good point. Very good point. Um, this the Piper that it goes into is just another huge i mean there's just nothing else to say besides huge but they're the end of piper the last few minutes it gets sort of you know it's out there and it doesn't really feel like we're, we know where we are anymore and then page starts a piano solo and it doesn't really have anything to do with loving cup but then it eventually ends up into the loving cup intro and just such a rocking version i just i, I really love this that part of the set i mean there, there's what's what's not to love you know Absolutely. And they they kind of like, you know, with Roses and, and Piper kind of went into, um, I mean, everyone was loving it audience wise, just because it was weird, but it was weird. There was some bizarre spacey stuff that like, if you wanted to groove, that didn't kind of happen until Loving Cup. And when it came, it was such an amazing, amazing release. Like, it, like what a, what a Loving Cup and what a perfect place exactly for it in this show 
and in 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 this tour. But um, something happened in in Loving Cup, RJ, and uh, kind of explains what all this Karini's uh, going to get you stuff uh, happens in Antelope. What what is that? Do you want to explain it for some people that might not know? Well, I don't think I actually saw this when it happened, but a, a well-intentioned young person who didn't have clothes on ran on stage and yeah, he had shorts. He had shorts. Okay. He wasn't wearing yeah, a lot shorts. of his clothes. Um, but he got, I mean, I can't imagine what would happen to you these days if you did that. I just, I wouldn't recommend it because I don't think it's a very good idea. Um, but Karini, Pete Karini, the, who was, you know, there, I guess, I don't know if he was the, he was the first person to be there. If he was the assigned person to. He was fast. He was fast on the scene. I mean, this dude, uh, it was like kind of, I think Loving Cup was, was kind of almost over. They were just coming back into, whoa, what a beautiful buzz. And suddenly mm-hmm. from the right, this dude, I imagine he jumped up from the audience. I don't know where he could have come from because he probably couldn't have made it side stage. But anyway, suddenly he appeared from the right and ran in front of Fish, Mike, and Trey. And kind of, you know, he's very, he was dancing and he was very athletic because he looked and Karini was running right at him and he just jumped like casually stepped into the audience and disappeared. And it was amazing. It, it was kind of like Trey, everyone was smiling page. Cause he didn't like go up and like try to, as yeah. you've seen people do like high five Trey or something. He just was dancing and it was, it was kind of harmless and, and fun. So Karini actually didn't get him. Didn't get him. He he just missed. He just but, missed. You know, <laughs> stage crashers, especially at the time were, were kind of a, an occasional phenomenon that I never fully understood but I remember watching this one unfold and I remember based on the commentary that they were giving, and I think Fishman's commentary about how <laughs> you, you can come up here, just know that if you do, Karini's going to get you. I remember thinking, oh, that's a mistake for him to say. He kind of corrected it too. He said, don't come, you know, don't, don't come to the drummer or whatever it was that he, that he clarified. Yeah. But I, re- I remember thinking at the time that they're creating a safe space for stage crashers, you know, or, or maybe establishing that it's not a safe space, but giving them a challenge, you know, it um, wasn't the right thing to say. Like, no, it like wasn't the right thing to say. But, today's but, professional no. fish <laughs> yeah. would, would not say it. Would never say, come on stage, but Trini will get you. Um, you know, <laughs> and just don't mess with the drummer. <laughs> yeah, and don't mess with the drummer. But, you know, I'm sure Trey loved that. Um, but, you know, coming off a, a set like that, I don't think anything was a safe space. And, you know, maybe maybe that's the point here, too. Maybe maybe that guy just had had his fill of the roses are free. Yeah. Well, you said, Benji, earlier, like the the humor and the music, you know, creates kind of the special special thing for this particular particular show. And, you know, does this this antelope, which is like any late 90s antelope or most of them anyways, just so intense and so fiery and what a great, great end. Because of that, RJ, and they have, it has all the elements, right? So when, you know, it's one thing for a band to have a lot of humor. It's one thing for a band to just be focused on improvisational jams or, or lyric, you know, uh, lyrics that that are, are poetry, but you know, fish as, as we've documented a time and time and time again, they have all these elements and a million more They're you know, they're a dance band, they're a funk band, they're a jazz band, they're a space ship, you know, taking off. And this night had it all. So I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to correct what I said earlier, where I said, this was my, my favorite setup from the, from this Island. I think this was my favorite overall package show from, from the four nights. It's just, it's very tough competition with what we have coming up the next two nights. But uh, but there's just something uh, 
uh, fishy about this night that I that I really loved. Some, some of the answers are fishy. Yeah, especially, I mean, first set was great, but set two, there's something totally unbelievably magic, uh, you know, can never be repeated. And like, also just like, thank your lucky stars kind of kind of thing that you were in the room. I mean, it was completely outrageous and unbelievable fish. And listening back, it's it like all comes back to me with huge amount of emotion. So we can't we can't end this without talking about the the encore, which is of course Karini um, into Haley's, and then <clears throat> Tweezer reprise. Which you know, there's there's a lot of videos that exist that show Trey in in full kind of rock star moment. Um, a lot of them are from '98, actually, but <laughs> I think this this video of him uh, during Tweezer reprise it, it's it's possibly the top. I mean, this is like. He's just at the top of of his rock star game and just strutting around the stage, playing Tweezer Reprise, and it's so fun to watch and such a great way to cap a show. But just watching that video, still, I just it just gets me fired up. It's the best, and I saw it labeled as uh, and you once you once you hear this, you'll never not see it. Uh, it's Trey's dinosaur stomp. And it's the dinosaur. It's yes. a dinosaur stop. To he, well, it's also his victory lap. He deserved it this night. You know, he got touchdown touchdowns. You know, throughout. He wanted to play a whole other concert. He was ready to play yeah. completely. Just keep going. Um, but it was amazing. Everyone left after that. Karini, like, what do we do now? Well, how do you make twenty thousand people drive from Long Island to Rhode Island? Play that tweezer reprise. Because it was amazing. Tomorrow we're hopping islands and we will meet you on 4498. Divine Providence Undermine is brought to you by Osiris Media. Executive producers are Tom Marshall, RJB, and there's another person. Oh, yeah, Benji Eisen. Edited by Eric Limarenko, mixed and mastered by Matt Dwyer. Production assistance from Nick Sejas. Original music by Amar Sastry. Art by Mark Dowd. Thank you. Tom, before we um, officially end, tomorrow when we talk about 4, 498, will you tell us about anything you remember f- about the bus ride from Long Island to Rhode Island? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, yes. Anything I remember. Okay, stay tuned for that. <laughs> Bye. And a few things you don't. Osiris. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! 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 The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.